Caution, the contents of this podcast may be historical, but they're still served piping hot. We're brewing up the classics here on the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Coffeehouse Classical Music Podcast. My name is Asa. And I'm Allison. So welcome back and thank you for tuning in to this, the final installment of our little Tchaikovsky Symphony No. 6 series. Of course, that means we're looking at the fourth and final movement today. Woo, we made it! We have, and so have you. But if you're joining us with this Tchaikovsky series, Symphony No. 6 series for the first time, we encourage you to go back a few episodes and catch up from the very beginning of this marvelous work. Now, let's get right to it. Yes. So while both of the second and third movements had an overall upbeat feeling, this fourth movement starts in a rather melancholy way. And this is purposeful. Recall that Tchaikovsky really wanted to make waves with this particular symphony, and so he purposely didn't make his final movement as bombastic as fourth movements traditionally were. The wandering melancholy sound comes from the chordal harmonies being used. We're back in B minor, but the first chord we have from the strings is a diminished six chord. And after then passing through chords that are also not B minor, we arrive in the next measure on a 5-7 chord with a lowered 7, very jazzy, but still not a resolution to B minor. Then the pattern repeats. And while the strings are still in this nebulous, maybe B minor, but not quite sound, the bassoon comes in with longer notes as a sort of melody. And this does seem to be in the key of B minor, as it actually starts on B. And it's not until four measures into that bassoon solo, and then a full seven measures actually into the piece, that the strings finally do play a B minor chord. As the rest of the woodwinds enter, the harmonies move upward to a grand fortissimo moment that is also a nice big B minor chord. What catches the air from this cadence, though, is the use of an appoggiatura in the woodwinds. And what exactly is an appoggiatura, you may be asking? Excellent question, dear listener. It is the use of a passing tone which is a non-chord tone, and it is emphasized by actually placing it right on the downbeat before actually resolving to the final chord tone, either on the upbeat or a weaker beat in the measure. So in this example, the strings are all playing a B minor chord, which is B, D, F sharp. However, the woodwinds actually play a C sharp right on the downbeat over top of that chord, which it's, the C sharp definitely is not in that B minor chord. 
However, on beat two, they do step downward to that B, thus allowing their part of the melody to resolve into that chord as well. So it is yet another way that Tchaikovsky has found to build tension in his cadences. The woodwinds then play a sad-sounding passage that dwindles down to just the bassoons and flutes, ending on another cliffhanger chord, a four-diminished seven. Tchaikovsky then writes in an entire beat of rest, really keeping keeping the listener guessing what is to come. I think it's interesting here that he writes in an entire beat of rest for the whole orchestra rather than putting in some sort of fermata and letting the uh, conductor interpret it. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's measured pondering, I would say. Exactly. <laughs> Then the violins come in with 16th notes, and it sounds like we could be ramping up to a fast-paced melody like we heard in the first movement after the slow introduction there. But actually, it's just to repeat the opening string pathétique chords. And this time, the strings and bassoon keep moving the harmony and melody lower and lower. So, as the pathétique of the title of the symphony describes, Tchaikovsky was really going into the depths of emotions here. Just listen to how low this bassoon can go. But now we get out of the introduction with the horns playing syncopated triplets. The melody that comes out of this is more slow and reassuring than the bassoon had been previously. This is almost written in a chorale style as well. Through the strings and clarinets, there is a lush harmony, and sections trade off with moving notes in the background, while more melodic figures have holding notes. As the melody repeats, the woodwinds take over the background triplets, and the trombones actually get a little call and response style line that mimics the violins.
And as more of the orchestra joins in, this melody is repeated again, this time with the violins playing in a higher register. This is similar to a technique Tchaikovsky used in the first movement as well to make his melodies more compelling each time. Just when we thought maybe Tchaikovsky had done all he could, we do suddenly get an upward swell of the harmony. Here, the melody is moving up chromatically. And in contrast to that upward movement, the brass still have downward scales. And with that, we reach the biggest climax of the movement yet. The strings are all playing a unison B throughout several octaves, while the woodwinds and brass, though they are playing the syncopated triplet still, fill out the nice tonic B minor chord. After a contrast of the strings playing downward duple eighths instead of those triplet eighths, our next big chord we settle on is a C major chord, which is essentially a lowered two chord in B minor. And this chord is functionally serving as a dominant chord that will eventually read to a resolution back to tonic. Tchaikovsky actually stays in the key center for a while here as he transitions to the next section. Here we even have the violins playing a C major scale over and over. It's a bright spot in the otherwise tumultuous movement. There's then a bit of drama with held chords and rests with fermatas. Tchaikovsky is really inviting us to settle into how the chords make us feel. before we return to the material for the beginning of this movement. What's interesting about this particular repetition of the material is the voice leading, or rather where the jumps in each line are. Of course, even at the beginning, it sounded like the violins were playing a general downward line, which is in fact what they're doing here. But, actually very tricky at the beginning, the first and second violins actually have downward and upward leaps respectively, so essentially the second violins switch places with the first violins. So even though we still hear the same notes and the same chords and therefore have that overall downward feel to the melody, the violins were actually jumping up and down within their sections. So there's slightly different movement between each of those notes. It's a very subtle difference, and honestly, it's much more impressive to look at in the score than to actually listen to, but just see if you can hear any difference at all between the beginning and now here in the movement.
A more noticeable difference is rather than having the bassoon play the overlying melody here, the horns actually take it over this time. It's a little more judgment day rather than deepest remorse. <laughs> So if you listen to the entire form of this longer piece, you can consider it to be a sort of spread out sonata form movement. We've just finished the exposition, and now we're into the development. The development section begins to develop this opening theme as the strings build it up and speed up the rhythm as well. hit the high point of this buildup, the strings still play a line reminiscent of the opening with these downward eighths. As we've noticed in the other movements of the symphony as well, Tchaikovsky adores contrary motion, meaning there are scales going up and down at the same time. Here, while the violins are playing the overall downward theme, the brass is playing upward scales in four notes. And next, we get a more insistent sounding version of the opening theme. The strings and woodwinds have a whoosh of notes that lead up to the high point of the melody. And here, the harmony is the same as we've been hearing it all along, but the tempo is slightly faster, and rather than adding in that dotted 8th 16th that we've heard before, it's just straight 8th notes. Tchaikovsky then reels it back in with a breakdown of the melody until the violins are left just playing the last beat of the phrase. And after that, the brass really takes that breakdown to an extreme level. They have very long held chords that do resolve down, just the same as in our original theme. But then even the big, powerful brass decrescendos down to nothing. After this, the strings and the woodwinds come tentatively back in with the chorale-style writing 
in what is labeled the coda section, but could be considered a recapitulation. Throughout this whole section, we do retain the syncopated triplets, although played very quietly in the contrabasses. You'll have to listen very closely. As the strings repeat this chorale, our good friend the bassoon comes back with a nice little phrase that repeats a few times and centers around the third of B minor, which is a D. The third being what really makes the minor triad versus major. Also recall in this final recapitulation of the melodic material of this piece, how did this symphony start all the way back four weeks ago in movement one? Well, Asa, it was with a bassoon solo. A very mournful and sad bassoon solo. And that's what we get here. We've come full circle with the mournful timbre of the bassoon. And from the end of the bassoon solo, the cellos play out a 4 to 1 cadence, the plagal cadence that we've mentioned commonly used in church music, while the basses play out the triples into duples to quarters, and finally holding on a B minor chord. Wow, that is just a really different ending to a very magnificent symphony. So when Tchaikovsky commented that people, they didn't hate his symphony, they were just confused, it's very easy to see where they're coming from. Because compared to the grandeur of the first movement, the overall jaunty and happy nature of the second and third movements, this one really is a bit of a Debbie Downer. But in the most artistic way possible, of course. It is, and I think, so the, the Tchaikovsky Symphony Number no. 6 is one of my favorite of his works. Um, and it's, as we mentioned in the opening episode of this series, it has a story, but Tchaikovsky never told anyone what it was. It is programmatic. So there's been a lot of speculation, and recently I was, I was looking back into this, and there's some speculation that Tchaikovsky wrote this as especially this fourth movement describing some of his own internal struggles um, with his his mental health and his sexuality um, which is backed up by the dedication of this piece which was to his nephew Vladimir Bob Davidov um, who there is some speculation that they had a, a very special romantic relationship but 
in any case, Devidov did commit suicide, and Tchaikovsky... And as we talked about in the first movement, it's questionable, really, Tchaikovsky's official cause of death. Yes. Even though it's listed as cholera, perhaps it was something darker there. There is speculation, and that's really all that we have, um, is, is speculation, because there have been no materials unearthed that describe the program that Tchaikovsky had in mind. But through that lens, it's a very interesting and I think very powerful way to interpret what this piece in particular meant to Tchaikovsky. Mm -hmm. And also posthumously, there is a lot of comparisons to this, and as we mentioned in the first episode as well, with Mozart's Requiem, you know, this being like a Requiem that he was writing for himself. This piece did receive its second performance at Tchaikovsky's own funeral, so it really was his Requiem. He just didn't, of course, view it as that while he was writing it, we would hope. Um, but it really is fitting, of course, listening to the, the very somber tone of the music, but also the, the happier bits in the middle. Of course, he did have times of his life that were great, that he had a, a nice time. It wasn't all the depths of despair. I think yeah. probably a lot of us can probably relate to that. It's not all bad, but right. it's also there, there's some dark parts too. And I've seen some I've seen some performances of this. Um, there's a, a particular performance on YouTube by the. Um, Philharmonic, the Orchestre Philharmonique de Radio France, the French Radio Philharmonic Orchestra, conducted by Myung-Won Chung. This last piece, or this last movement is done extremely poignantly. It's drawn out, and it is held at the very end into nothing. Uh, and there's, there's about a, I think it's like a two-minute silence before the piece, before the conductor puts his uh, baton down and allows the piece to end. Oh my gosh. It's it's Are very sure it's, it's very cool. 2 minutes. That's it's, amazing. It's long. It, it's it's very long. <laughs> oh um, my goodness. I mean, I see why. And if everyone yeah. in the audience is on point, I would say, then I can see how powerful that would be. Absolutely. But it only takes one in the audience to mess that kind of thing up. It does. Fortunately, in this video, it's uh it's done well. Excellent. So thank you once again for joining us. This is one of the longer series that we've done, um, but I think it does justice to what is a wonderful piece of music. And we hope that you have actually gone back and listened to the whole thing, all the movements in their completion, rather than just the snippets that we provide for you. Um, why don't you go check out the France Radio Symphony if you'd like. It sounds like that mm -hmm. is a lovely rendition to try out. I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. Um, we are not on YouTube, but we are on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Google Podcasts. Yes, we are. So and find us there. You probably have found us there if you're <laughs> listening to this. Yeah, I'm sure you've already found us there, but uh, let a friend know that they can also find us there. And if you have time, a review on those platforms makes a huge difference. So thank you very much. And until the next time, I'm Asa. And I'm Allison. Thank you so much for listening.
Tchaikovsky's Symphony No. 6 was performed by the University of Chicago Orchestra, conducted by Barbara Schubert. You can find The Coffeehouse on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Email us at coffeehouseclassical at gmail.com.